This is Taking Flight. Welcome, and thanks for joining me today. I'm Corinne, a high school birder here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. My aim in creating this podcast is to increase interest in birding through sharing ornithological knowledge and spreading awareness about issues in the birding community. While I always say it is great to learn from your peers, I often find it helpful to turn to the more experienced birders for guidance, especially when dealing with tricky identifications. Today I am joined by Juliet Berger, the president of the Washtenaw Audubon Society and the ornithologist for the Natural Area Preservation, a division of the City of Ann Arbor Parks and Recreation. Their mission is to protect and restore Ann Arbor's natural areas and to promote an environmental ethic among its people. I want to mention that this interview took place outdoors, wearing masks, and socially distanced, so please excuse the background noise. Take this as a good example of taking necessary precautions during the pandemic. Thanks for joining me today, Juliet. It's great to be with you, Corinne. I wanted to start off by having you give us a little more insight into your birding background. Tell us about how you got into birds. Where did the journey start and at what age? So, funny you should ask that. My father was a birder. And so from the time I was born, he took me birding with him everywhere. And some of my earliest memories are birding at Point Pelee. Um, so I've been birding for over 50 years. Wow, that's amazing. So what do you think fascinated you the most about birds when you started? Um, the, the variation in coloring and plumage from one bird to the next, especially in the warblers. Um, we spend a lot of time birding in the spring and not so much time birding any other time of year. And so when the warblers are in there breeding plumage, they're so incredibly varied and beautiful. And we would see great examples of those everywhere in the spring and especially at Point Pelee in Ontario. Um, and it was a thing I did with my dad and I didn't necessarily bird when I wasn't with my father uh, until I was 16. I happened to be hanging out in my backyard and a warbler flock was there and I'd never been in the middle of a flock of warblers without my dad and I had my bird book and I had to figure out what they all were. It was uh, sort of the spark moment for me in becoming a birder. Great. Um, give us some more information about your education. How did you become the ornithologist for the city parks? I um, studied science as an undergrad. I was a major in anthropology and zoology. Uh, switched to psych and got a master's degree in social work. Um, began teaching birding classes at my children's elementary school in 2012 um, and did a lot of self-study, took a lot of uh, time for that and uh, since being president of the Audubon Society locally here and leading birding tours for the last eight years plus um, when I applied for the job that was open when the city ornithologist D. Armstrong retired in 2015 I was the most qualified candidate so it uh, proves you can have your dream job without always having all of the qualifications, uh, educational qualifications, I had the other ones. Also, um, my master's degree in social work, I have a, a minor in community organization, so I think they chose me for my skills in bringing the community together in addition to my 
um, my good birding skills. Which is definitely important when you're responsible for bringing all of the birding community together. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so what exactly does an ornithologist for the city parks do? And who do they work for? Is there one in every city? Okay, so I'm the only city ornithologist in the state of Michigan. There are other ornithologists that work for county entities, uh, like a county park system or for the state park system. But Ann Arbor is the only city that has an ornithologist um, on staff. And uh, what I do is recruit, train, and support all the volunteers in the breeding bird survey program um, to do surveys of all the birds that nest in our parks uh, during the nesting and breeding season um, and I do lots of my own surveys in areas where volunteers can't go like at the airport uh, the Ann Arbor landfill um, and I do presentations various programs and educational type of presentations for the public so that's a, you know, among the many duties that I have. Yeah, so are there other ornithologists in Ann Arbor? Sure, there's other ornithologists. We have, um, we have an ornithology professor, Ben Winger, at the university. Um, there's other people in Ann Arbor who have the training to be ornithologists, yes. Um, what are some of your favorite birds, birding experiences, or locations? Any must-sees on your dream list? Okay, so today there's a wood stork at Shiawassee National Wildlife Refuge up in the Saginaw Bay area. And of course I've seen them in Florida, but I haven't seen one in Michigan and that matters to me. Today, if I see the wood stork, I uh, will have my 300th bird in the state. Wow. So I'm really going for that as soon as we're done talking. And um, also today, if this had been a normal year and we didn't have a pandemic globally, I would be in New Zealand. I was um, supposed to be on the New Zealand international trip with Washington Audubon Society, uh, a 15 day trip, and this would have been our second day of birding. Um, I love all birds. My favorite backyard bird right now is an Eastern Bluebird family that I have. Uh, they have two young, they hatched from a natural cavity in our um, cul-de-sac and my favorite bird in the city is the scarlet tanager uh, i'm just crazy about them and um, they are declining across their range so we keep a good eye on them um, in the birds program with the city and uh, someday i'm hoping to see a spoonbill sandpiper before they become extinct uh, if that terrible thing should ever happen yeah yeah you you mentioned the pandemic and how you were supposed to go yeah. how do you think the pandemic has been affecting birders across the world so i can tell you here in ann arbor people who have been working from home and laid off have been doing more birding it's one of the only things we could do when we were locked down we could leave the house and go for a walk and if we should happen to take our binoculars with us more is the better um, it's been a terrible tragedy for um, many people in our country and um, including people in marginalized populations and people without adequate health care. Um, but in terms of the birding community, most of us have been birding a lot more. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing that we are doing to maintain our mental health, yes. especially. And I think it's great that we can still go outside and 
birds are still flying around. Yes, and for our mental health, it's really important. I agree with you. Um, where do you see the field of ornithology going? What are the hottest research topics currently? So there's a lot of folks focused on speciation and how birds um, are different from one, from one another and how they separate into separate species. And for example, like the blue-winged and the golden-winged warbler, which share over 90% of their uh, genes, there'll be some species that we find are really one species that we now think of as two. But speciation across the globe and also um, evolution of migration patterns is another thing that ornithologists are really interested in right now. Um, whether birds can smell and how much they can smell, uh, bird visual acuity and diff the different color spectrums that birds can see, those are all some areas that I have seen some interesting research on lately. Is there, it's not like a yearning question that you always wanted to know the answer to? That's a good question. <laughs> to think about that. Yeah, I, I know that um, because I was recently up at Whitefish Point and they were talking, because that's a great migration path. It is. They talk, I know that when I was wondering, how does the bird know to navigate? That yes. it's, it can fly a huge distance and it's never been there before. That's right. And we use Google Maps on a daily basis just to find from one place to another that if there was a driving mechanism, how could we apply it? that we would never get lost and ships that are out at sea would never be worried that they wouldn't they wouldn't come back because of navigation yes. I think that's something super curious that is an interesting question something that I've wondered about every fall when the raptor migration comes through southeast Michigan we can have upwards of a hundred thousand broad-winged hawks coming through the Detroit River Hawk Watch in a single day where are they roosting the night before? <laughs> yeah. I have that specific question, and wouldn't you want to be camping underneath those trees? Uh, so my questions are smaller <laughs> and more regional today, but that's one I've thought about a lot. Yeah. So when I come to the Washington Audubon Society meetings, the majority of the members are either older than me or retired and do birding as a very vigorous hobby. How do you suggest we make birding more attractive to youth and what specific advice can you give young birders? So at Washtenaw Audubon, we always try and encourage young birders. We give scholarships to young birders to go to various camps. We hold some events and field trips that are specifically geared towards young birders. And also um, in my role as the ornithologist for the city park system, um, I have many family-friendly events that I lead. And this is not a normal year, but generally we have lots of family-friendly events. Um, what you've done at Pioneer High School is another thing that I would love to encourage. Um, high school ornithological groups, um, you're really an inspiration to all young birders, and I appreciate your work. Um, we also at Washington Audubon plan to have a Young Birders Club, um, but some things have sidelined that at this time. Uh, that's a goal of ours. Um, 
whatever we can do to reach out to young people is so important. You're the next generation of birders and you're the next generation of environmentalists to care about our world and our climate. Do you think there's a particular reason that birding tends to be so niched among teenagers? Is it like, do people need to make a specific connection with birding? Do they need to have that moment? Or is it just lack of expertise, lack of um, opportunities at younger ages? I know when I started, it was a science Olympiad event. It was something that triggered it. And I feel that in biology classes, it's always a topic that's grazed over. Do you think if there was a greater focus, especially at younger ages, that niche would open up? I would hope so. My husband tells me that his high school biology teacher required that they know 50 of the most common bird songs uh, in Michigan in order for them to pass his class. Um, I would literally love something like that. Um, I also am a product of Science Olympiad. I started teaching in 2012 and taught for five years. Um, so that was another way to attract a lot of young people. We, we always had 20 or more kids in our class, and then we would choose the competitors out of that class, but we wanted to broaden it into a bird club versus just a very narrow uh, preparation for a Science Olympiad kind of competition. Uh, okay, so do you have any great stories to share as we close off? So I have a lot of birding stories. One that I remember from when I was with my father uh, at Point Pelee. I must have been about eight years old. Back in the day, uh, I know now that you have to take a propane-powered tram out to the tip, but back then in the 60s, um, you could drive right out to the tip. And we stepped out of our vehicle and we were on the sand beach of the tip of Point Pelee, and there were so many warblers literally passed out on the beach. Um, after having made the journey across Lake Erie uh, by night, early in the morning, they were exhausted and just kind of hanging out, pecking at bits of sand. And there was a summer tanager, an immature male still in the multicolored plumage before they get the all red plumage, green, orange, red, yellow, um, brown, sitting on a twig that must have been six inches off the sand and not moving. And there was a crowd of 30 or 40 birders just staring at it and taking photos. And it's something I will never forget. The, the drama of migration, the stress of migration, and the beauty of these birds um, right played out before me. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. It was my pleasure, Corinne. Thank you so much. Due to the format of the interview, bird recordings could not be inserted directly after they were mentioned. But here are the birds Juliet referenced while describing her adventures. The wood stork. The Eastern Bluebird. The Scarlet Tanager. The Spoon-Billed Sandpiper. The Blue-Winged Warbler. And the Golden-Winged Warbler.
the Broadwing Talk, and finally, the Summer Tanager. This is the last episode of Season 1, and I'm going to be taking a week off, but we'll be back soon with Season 2. Thank you so much for everyone's support, and seeing you all tuning in to learn about birds, it is such a great motivator. A quick shout out to those listening in from Ireland, Israel, and Sweden. I'm thrilled that the podcast has got some international listeners. Once again, I want to say a big thank you as we wrap up our 10th episode of Taking Flight. A quick resource for today is another birding podcast. In case you find yourself needing some bird-related content next week, I encourage you to check out Bird Notes, a podcast of bird-related stories that tells fascinating tales of individual species, or dives into the burning questions you probably always wanted to know the answer to. For example, why is the red-bellied woodpecker named after a colored body part that is rarely seen? Or what's the deal with the brathonotary warbler's name? Find these answers and more in Dwight Davis's exceptionally captivating storytelling podcast on your general platforms. Each episode is only a few minutes long, which is a perfect length for when you're in a hurry. Be on the watch for season two, airing the Friday after next at 5 p.m. Be sure to check out those great resources still available to you. The Cornell Lab of Ornithology presents eBird, the All About Birds database, the Macaulay Library, the Birds of the World database, the Young Birders Network, and the Living Bird Magazine. Don't forget about iNaturalist and Merlin Bird ID, which are both available for mobile devices. You can also email me at ornithologicalsocietyofpioneer at gmail.com or send a message to our Instagram page, o.s.pioneer. On our Instagram page, you will also find complimentary bird photos listed chronologically of all the birds mentioned in the episodes. All recordings used in this podcast were obtained under Creative Commons from www.xenocando.org. Specific attribution of each recording and more great bird recordings can be found on their website. Thanks for joining me today and see you next time. I am, as always, for the birds and stay bird nerds. This was Taking Flight.